Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the American Scouser podcast. I am Galley, filling in as the host this week for Timuchin, and with me, of course, from, well, inside Anfield, is the mighty dapper, Mr. Paul Bickler. Paul, look at you with your setup. I know. It's almost like I somehow like commandeered your green screen and we've traded spots. Yeah, I was going to say, I think somewhere behind me, like I joked earlier, I, I end up with like a serial killer's wall in like a movie that you see, like they don't even let them hang anything on the wall. Um, there will be a new green screen installed, so there won't be any more melting away of my green screens. Uh, we'll leave that for the green screen in your kitchen. Hopefully that pot of uh, whatever it is you're brewing up for dinner is still cooking right behind you, probably adding a little bit on the, uh, on the far stand. So as uh, anyone who's a regular viewer of our podcast would know, we are missing the guy in the main seat who's probably somewhere in the Outer Banks right now probably thinking about how he wishes he was on this podcast so he could have trivia. I thought the greatest thing about the fact that he wasn't on this podcast, Paul, was the fact that we would probably be able to skip trivia this week. Undoubtedly so. It is. Um, and we'll get to all the topics this week as we talk about, you know, we're going to get into Mo's contract. We're going to look at some other players that are rumored to be working on new deals uh, hopefully we'll get some of our viewers and listeners to chime in, like our good friend, Alan. We can't go without an opening without first saying greetings from Houston. Uh, Alan was very disappointed on the 4th of July, made me feel wanted that day. As Paul likes to remind me, I'm now third choice in my own home. Um, that's behind basically the television and the dog. So uh, it was nice for Alan to wish that we were on there on Monday night. But... I actually see that someone is chiming in already. It looks like Smuchin is with us, hanging out in in his new setup. Smuchin, how are we doing? Oh, we're doing great. This is my temporary vacation setup. Got the vacation shirt and everything. I figured when I see Bickler ready to go in the stadium, I gotta at least hop on for a little bit over here. Vacation. Be damned. Sound and background is probably like a usual Bickler style, so I figure this kind of like compensates for that too. You look like a Turkish Andy Reid on vacation, man. <laughs> a Turkish Andy Reid. That's an I interesting one. I to take that. But you know what? I'll give you what you really need is this. You need oh, no. trivia in your life, my friend, because I had trivia sent in to me. This week, I'm going to go with BJ's. That's another thing. You guys probably thought you were going to get away with no trivia, but I thought this was pretty good. So I will ask you guys, let me get the wording right so that, you know, there's no uh, confusion over here from the stadium over there. So since the Premier League has started in 1992, it has had how many different names and can you give us those names? Or how many of those names can you give us? Bickler! Straight from the stadium, I buddy. I don't know. You gotta know at least a couple. I'll go, I'll go two, but I can't name them. I mean, yeah, I'll go two. How many you think, Gally? I, I think it's something like three or four. Um, I'll say four, and I don't believe I'd be able to name them all. But, I mean, I know, obviously, it has been 
the Premier League. It has been the English Premier League, I believe. No? What 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 are they? Go ahead. Bring them so to us. The correct answer is six. Six names. The current name being Premier League. It started as the FA Premier League the first year. Then the first sponsor is Calling. FA Calling Premiership. Then for three years from 2001 to 2004, it was the Barclay Card Barclay. Premiership. Then it has been the FA Barclays Premiership. And then 2007 to 2016, it was Barclays Premier League. Ah, it's a horseshit question. You guys disappoint me. You guys disappoint me. So it's really just two, and they just like combine the names different well, that's ways. Beside the point. Six times. <laughs> that's like, it's basically okay. like. Like, can you name? Can you name all the? Can you name all the different names of Minute Maid Park? And someone's like, "No, it's Minute Maid Park. It started as Minute Maid Park. It'll probably end as Minute Maid Park. It could be eighteen different oil drilling companies in between. People will still call it Minute Maid Park and probably ask why they have a you know mound going upward in outfield. But that's baseball, so there's a lot of reason to hate it. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. <laughs> so. We're not going to talk about baseball because we have Tamuchin here with us, and we know that that is the least thing that he'd like to talk about. And I think what probably should be the topic of, uh, I think, any show, every time someone always starts a moment right, they talk about how right they are. Tamuchin loves to tell us he got that trivia question right, and we don't know if he actually answered it right or not. Um, but I think we can all say we got the most out of thing wrong because – about two years ago, we were each right. He'd re-sign this deal, no question. And last week, we all basically said, well, we've got 12 more months. And then Friday came. So, Paul, let's start with you. Uh, your overall emotion and mental state when you actually fact-checked it and realized it wasn't just crazy talk from Kazi and others in the Discord channel, that Mosal had really signed that extension. Yeah, that was a weird one. I mean, I think it's like I'd uh, emotionally prepared for so long for him to be gone that when it did happen, it was like there's like an abscess of emotion in a really strange, vacant, weird way. And it like almost took like hours for it to sort of sink in throughout the day. Uh, but yeah, great news. But yeah, it just it was uh, it was a weird one for sure because uh, – not one I was prepared for. I mean, I figured if it was going to get done, it may get done closer to the January window once the season started as like some sort of weird concession on Mo's part. But I was prepared for him to go uh, on a free. I thought like for sure he was just going to kind of wind this thing down. But um, I mean, obviously a great deal for us. It sounds like it was a great deal for Mo. So win-win. And Timuchin, from your standpoint, when you heard the news – were you more surprised about the length of the deal, the fact that it seemed like he kind of conceded to the terms that they had been talking about, the 350000 a week? Was it the money or the length of the contract? Honestly, just the fact that it happened. I mean, I found out after driving bazillion hours from Chicago to North Carolina over here, and that was like the first thing I saw after finally like pulling in and kind of like sitting back, and there was like 85,000 notifications, and I see that. I was like, nice. And I think that's what most Liverpool fans felt. It was like more relief than anything else. And I, the thing that I like about it overall is – I think even if we end the 
like our transactions. I mean, there will be some altcoins. I'm sure you guys will talk about it. But, uh, you know, even if you don't bring anything else in, and this is how the like the transfer season ends, I think it puts a nice positive spin to it. Because you can debate that, you know, we lost Mane, who obviously, if you look at the numbers, contributed a lot, you know, goals, assists, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we have Nunez, we have Carvalho, so there are some things to be excited with. But you kind of have that cloud of the whole Mo Salah situation over the team and the club and the transfer market, the transfer talk overall. I think it's just a relief that with a strong win, that's kind of out of the picture. So everybody can focus on task on hand. Because, I mean, you guys know, I mean, that's the constant talk. It's the default talking point now. It was Coutinho for a while. Now we can go back to talking about Coutinho again, you know, if he'll ever come back and stuff. Oh, can't wait for that talk, you know? <laughs> maybe we can get a little maybe we can get a little bring Genie back, right? And put Genie back in the bottle. I don't think there'd be room for him anyways. But Paul, talk to us a little bit about, you know, what Timuchin talked about there with Mo staying, um, the importance it is for the club, the statement that it makes, uh, and what it says to the rest of the players in that dressing room about where they're going and what they're building. Well, I mean, I think it's I think it it's important because it tells us that we can't hang on to our best players, right? I mean, I think that's the fear is that we get to a point where we're not able to hang on to our best players and we can't offer competitive wage packages to our best players. And I think this is a win-win for both parties because I think at the end of the day, I think Mo gets exactly what he wanted from a package standpoint in terms of the fact that he may not be hitting a baseline salary that he wanted. But I, I know for a fact that the incentives that are built in are probably achievable to the point where he's hitting, based off achievable incentives, the wages that he wants to hit. And it, safe, it safeguards the club from shelling out on a baseline standpoint if something happens and he, we were to lose him for the year to an injury or his, his performances to drop off significantly. It essentially saves the club and basically mitigates the risk while giving him something that he thinks is achievable. And so I think – I think from an actual structural standpoint, it's a huge win for club ownership. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people are going to sit here and say, uh, well, we broke our wage structure for him. I've seen that a lot, mostly from other people outside, you know, people that aren't Liverpool supporters who say, yeah, the club broke their wage structure for Mo. And that's, I don't see it that way at all because I don't think our wage structure is don't put players on high wages. It's, that you only put elite talent on high wages on their last contract. And that's essentially what we did. And we did it with a mitigated risk. We didn't put it on a long-term deal. We put it on an incentive-based contract with a three-year deal, which I think is like, I just think it's a super smart move on our end. And it's great that we got Mo on board. And I think the difference between Mo and, and, and uh, Sadio, a lot of people are saying, well, we saved this money for Mo. You know, it was either Mo or Sadio. And I don't believe that. I don't believe it was one or the other. I mean, you can say we were never going to have two 30-year-old attackers on huge wages, but I think the key difference was that the decision was made for the club because one wanted to stay and one was asking for things he knew he wasn't going to get and made it pretty clear he wanted to be elsewhere, you know? And Sadio can say and sit there that he it wasn't about the wages and he just wanted a new challenge, and that's fine, but he's going to a one-team league, so – that's not really a new challenge, you know. Um, even I don't begrudge Sadio for leaving. I think that you know, essentially, he was in a situation where he just wanted something different, and that's fine. But I think, 
I don't think it was a choice between the two. And I, I don't think we broke our wage structure. And I think, you know, the, the, the focus now is we kept our best. Now let's accumulate talent on reasonable wages that we can add in. We're not going to get a 20 something year old and put them on 300,000 pounds a week. We're going to get the next big guy, the next big, big thing and put him on 125 a week. And, and that's, that's the wage structure. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree when I was asking Tamuchin that, you know, I was thinking when it came back to me, I'd share my comments on it. I, I believe the three years is the more important of the two numbers and not not from the standpoint that I don't think Mo would have been worth a four-year or a five-year contract if if you got him on a little bit more club-friendly wages. But when you're when you're hitting your new high, I think you also have to set the tone and the temperament that it's only going to be at a certain level. And there's also, you know, a piece that doesn't get talked about a lot, which is that they had basically found a way to sign all their key players to extensions before signing Mo. So they had almost reset the wage structure by re-signing, you know, Allison, by re-signing Trent, by re-signing uh, Van Dyke ahead of time. And I really believe that that was a big, big piece of this. And I think that will lead to, you know, reasons why the wage structure isn't broken and why Liverpool really comes out on top with the talent that they keep here. Because I think if they had to go four or five years at this money, he wouldn't have gotten this offer. So, you know, there has been some people out there to say, you know, that this is all just so that they can recoup a fee in a year or two for Mo. That there's kind of like an agreement he's going to stay the one more year, maybe even two. Do you guys, Tanuch, and I'll start with you, do you subscribe to that in any way that this might have been a one-year increase on his wages to secure the value of the player in the club's asset and making sure they don't lose another major cog for free? I don't think that's like the game plan. Like, I don't think we did it just to be able to set that up or it's an agreement with Mo that that's how it was set up. I mean, when the guy says he clearly wants to sell Liverpool, I think it's kind of harder for him to change that afterwards. Having said that, I mean, we talked about this in the podcast before. You're the one actually who mentioned it in terms of what the market is for him right now compared to maybe a season like next summer or the summer after where there will be more clubs who can actually afford the fee to be able to bring him on and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I don't know. I think it would also depend on what we can get and what we build on our end to be able to afford that. I think the writing was on the wall. I'm kind of torn when like Victor was talking about the money thing. I'm kind of like torn on that because I think the writing was on the wall when we brought in Diaz that he was more the long-term plan. And when Klopp said like all our players know where we stand, I think Mane was pretty much told that, you know, he wasn't in the plans in terms of a huge wage increase. And kind of like Bickler said before, you know, he asked for something he knew he wouldn't get and to be able to kind of like walk away from it. I, but so I think in some sense we did pick one over the other and we did, we, I think we picked the right one just because of their play style and how I've always said that, you know, most passing will always be there. And if he starts losing speed as he gets older, that ability to create is always going to be there. That's something Mane does not have as much. And as Mane's speed gets less, agility gets less, I think he's going to be less dangerous of a player. Mo will keep his value, I think, longer. 
could it be something that both sides kind of like punted away for like a season or two? I guess, but I don't think that's what Liverpool had in mind when they did this. Because even though, yeah, they did not break the weight structure, you do now set the precedent for like the next contract talks and stuff like that down the road with somebody like maybe like Van Dyke and stuff like that. Paul, similar question to you, but more from the angle, you know, not from the cynical angle. And, and I want to be clear, I don't think they're, they signed him to sell him. More from the standpoint, if that's what they did, let's put the hypothetical on it. If that's what they did, are you, are you in support of that type of management by the club to make sure that they have such big picture plans in the market that they would put money on a short-term fix to secure, you know, long-term financial success by investing in their own assets? Well, I think that move would be, would fly in the face of what they've normally done in contracts. I don't think they normally re-sign players to add value for sell-on, um, especially at Mo's age. I don't think the, it makes a whole lot of sense in terms of what you recoup. Um, but let's say let's see let's say hypothetically they did that. I think they've earned my like anyone in I mean, I think they've earned my trust at this point. You know, what I would take away from that is they they looked at the market and they didn't see a right-sided attacking option that they thought fit their system and that was value for money and that was a good pickup and that there was somebody that there was somebody on their radar that they thought was achievable tangible and could get in the next upcoming windows. I don't think that's the case, but that's, that's what, that's where I would go with that. And I would think that if they did do that, that they've earned at this point, whoever they have targeted, they've earned our trust at this point. It wouldn't bother me if they invested in it with the idea that we get a guy to sign the contract. He's now here. We take away the rumors. We take away the innuendo. And if at the end of a season or two, the sides want to part, based on where club is, where people are, that that might be something that they would consider. So we'll see. Um, we'll move on from there with the um, moving on to different contract talk here. Um, and with that, we're going to go to the first player who is being rumored for a new contract, which is our good friend, Joe Gomez. Um, rumored to be about to sign a long-term extension with the club. Paul? What are your first thoughts when you hear Gomez is up for contract extension? Uh, my thir first thoughts are, is that's great for us, not great for him. <laughs> like, I love Joe Gomez, but, like, my feeling is, is that we need him far more than he needs us. And if he's going to try to crack into that England starting 11 for the World Cup or get into that squad, he needs to be playing. And I think he is about as good as a third, fourth CV option as any club in the world could ever ask for. So if that's what we're getting, I'm all for it. Um, although I am slightly shocked. Yeah, I won't lie. I was a little bit surprised. I expected him to angle for a move. Um, I thought he might have tried to make a move in December or January. And when he didn't do that, I thought definitely he was going to angle for a move this summer. A uh, little shocked he's talking extension unless maybe he knows some things we don't. Tanuchin, how about you on Joe Gomez, his future, and whether or not you think he should sign an extension? I mean, for himself, I, mean, I agree with Bickler. I just don't see the huge benefits for him unless, you know, they've kind of like talked him into the long-term plans. And maybe he feels, 
you know, even if he goes to a team, those two, three months is not going to gain him a spot on the World Cup. I think if the World Cup wasn't the stupid Winter World Cup, I would not be as shocked. I mean, the main thought we had was he would try to go to a team where he gets some playing time so he can go to the World Cup. Maybe he feels the two, three months is not going to be enough regardless of what team he goes to. And he's going to be maybe like a third choice wherever he goes to right now. And he feels what's the point. And he might be a more of a long-term here because, you know, obviously Matip is getting up there in age. There's Konate here, but obviously Van Dyke is up there in age. And he could be like, you know, slotted as the second slash third center back moving forward. I'm shocked. I, I really am. I thought it would be something that he would want and something that we would go with because Klopp does let players go when they want to move on. And it would fetch a good fee, I would think. I mean, the whole English tax aspect, uh, good center back. I know he has some injury issues, but I mean, let's not forget, he was a great partner with Van Dyke in that season before he got injured again. So the kid's good. And I thought he did really well. I mean, I think shockingly bad, uh, as uh, shockingly good, I should say, when filling in for Trent as right back uh, last year. I mean, he did a lot of good things. So I'm happy he's staying. I'm just shocked from his perspective, kind of like what Paul was saying. And you are still muted, my man. Uh-huh. I can see that. That was always a good one. <laughs> I can see that now. Man, this is a weird week. I got the green screen. I'm not the one making the mistakes. I don't know what's going on anymore. Oh, God. That was good. You'd think the host might be on vacation. Uh, Yes. Speaking of of the host being on vacation, um, we we appreciate you jumping on with us. You're glad to stay as long as you'd like, but you do look like you might have either like a cocktail or a beach in your future. Get the hell out of here, Timmy. You go fire oh, yeah. the grill, I smash got the Chiefs practice coming up, so I got to go yeah. run some drills with the Get boys over there. Get your Tommy Bahamas shirt on and go eat a cheeseburger. Keep, just keep the uh, – You guys take care. I didn't want you to get away with that trivia this week. Just make sure and keep that sunscreen out of your eyes, all right? I don't need uh, any I more will try. Uh, I will thoughts try. of a crying, blind Turkish man stumbling down the beaches of the Outer Banks. Yeah, it's it's scary for the tourists out here, that's for sure. Take care, guys. Have a good show. Have a great week, guys. So, Paul, as we talk a little bit more about Gomez here, right? We we saw Gomez. We we saw how he was, you know, we saw him as Tamucha mentioned, he was a great partner for Van Dyke. Where does he sit moving forward? If Joe Gomez is a hundred percent fit. Can is he our third center back at some portion this season? Does he overtake either Kanate or Matip? I mean, I know Matip was great at the beginning of last season. Kanate came on down the stretch. You know, both me and you are card carrying members of the Kanate fan club. So, um, yeah. where do you think Joe Gomez fits after signing a new extension with such a powerful side? I mean, if I had to put numbers on their back, I think he's fourth, right? I mean, I at this point. That's not to say at the end of the season he can't surpass Matip in that rotation. Although let's not forget the first half of the season, Matip was our best center back and probably front to back one of the most consistent out of the entire four. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, And it's it's a weird one, especially with Ramsey coming in because now he's losing right back minutes. Like he's not going to get – he's. Not, I can't imagine he's going to get the rotational minutes to – 
give Trent a breather. So that indicates one of two things. Either there's been a discussion and they are going to rotate center backs more heavily than they've done in the past, which could be a good thing. Or, you know, there's been a private discussion and Moptip has like made some sort of contractual obligation that he's going to take every other week off to go geocaching. I don't, I mean, yeah, <laughs> there's got to be I, something there. I, I think kind of the same way I'm struggling with it because I just don't understand, you know, Michael Martin says, you know, for Joe, I wonder if he was given some assurances of opportunity if he does indeed yeah. sign a new deal, you know, to Paul's point. And, you know, to the listener's point, I could see that. I don't see Jurgen Klopp as a guy who gives people assurances. Now, if with five subs and Trent maybe getting some minutes off at the end of matches to rest his legs, maybe in the Premier League, I could see Joe Gomez getting the last 10, 15 minutes to see out matches and not bringing in Ramsey. But I don't think Ramsey will. I think Ramsey will get the cup matches at the start of the season. Cause I think that's the time you get to bleed him in. I think it'll take a bit for him to start playing, but you know, maybe he plays a little more, you know, Jamie says he more than deserves a new con his new contract. I don't think anyone's questioning whether it's deserved. My question is, is if he's third or fourth choice, why would he sign it? Cause if I'm a 24 year old, I got to play. 25-year-old kid, I got to be playing. Now, I see what Jamie's coming from, and I know Jamie's really high on Joe's talent. I just struggle with the idea because someone has to be second, third, and fourth. I know these guys all believe that they're good enough to be Virgil's number one partner, um, but it just looked to me last year at the second half of the year like the writing was on the wall that that was Kanate's job to lose, and I don't know if anyone's going to knock that man off the mountain. <laughs> Moses got to yeah, the top, I mean, I think I'm that's not sure thing, he's right? coming we, down. I think we can say he deserves a new contract, but I think we we can we can pretty emphatically say he deserves to be playing, and that's the problem. Is like he deserves to be playing, and, and where are the where are the minutes for him? That's that's the that's the real interesting thing about that. And I think to Jamie's point, and to some people, like they automatically assume right he's going to go, you know. Liverpool too, and he's going to go play for Steven Gerrard and 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 be an Aston Villa. He could walk in to Tottenham's back line and be a machine for Conte in the Champions League. He could walk into Arsenal and be their captain. I'm genuinely walk in and have enough leadership skills to run their side. Um, there's just so many places he could go if he wanted. And I don't want him to, but I do kind of want him to want to play. And I'm sure he does. So if he does sign this deal, I think we're going to see more of him on the pitch. And for all the people out there that love Matip so much, and I'm one of them too, I love watching him play. I just wonder if with only one year left on his contract, we don't see a little bit of the passing of the torch. And maybe that's why Joe is getting this deal, because we probably here's, have one more year left of Matip. Here's an interesting thought. We know that we're short on holding midfielders in this squad right now. Matip. Matip, that's where he played a lot of games at Schalke. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd be very interesting to see, especially if there's a formation shift to a four-two-three-one. If he gets a shot at a holding role, we know we love him with the ball at his feet coming out of the back. I wonder if there's a weird new role for Joel Matip that would just make us break out the t-shirts once again. That oh, we would have a whole new slew of t-shirts coming out if that happened. So, um. Uh, Another player who is up for talks of a contract extension, which 
you know, probably in my opinion, splits the Liverpool fan base more than any other player at the club today. And I don't mean it in a divisive way. Cause I don't know that anyone has a bad thing to say about the man um, other than he may try too hard. Uh, but the truth of the matter is with, when it comes to Nabby, I never thought we would get to the fifth year of his first deal without him signing his first Liverpool extension. So Paul, the idea of Nabby Keita getting an extension and is this more about cover for this season or could this be about securing a fee for a player down the road that you may have to sell? Oh, I walked right into that one, didn't I? I said, it's not like us to do. Um, I mean, that could, that very well could be the case in where we just don't want one more player running down a contract. It could be, I think it might be a little bit of both, um, especially if we're not going to add more midfield depth this year. I mean, that very well could be. He's not an every game starter. He's a tactical start depending on formation and team we're playing. It's like one of those things. Do I understand it? Yes. Do I love it? Not really. And I definitely don't love it if it's over 150 a week uh, at anything less than that. Like I'm probably okay with it, but I don't know. That's a weird one. I, I love Nabby. I mean, let's be honest. He was our fourth best midfielder last year. And I think to me that probably speaks more about our lack of options and death in midfield right now. But um, it is what it is. Like when he is on it, he is on it. I think sometimes he just forces the issue and tries to play outside himself. And that's his thing. But I'd love for Nabby to just prove everybody wrong and come in and kill it. I mean, that'd be more than that. That'd be great for us. Yeah, and whether whether you're a uh, you know a regular listener and viewer to the podcast like Michael Allen and Jamie, or you know you just come here to throw hate at us like Brian McCourt, who decided to come in and leave a comment like bunch of wanks, we appreciate it. Um, Got that right. You'll you'll know you'll know that I both defend Nabby, get just frustrated with Nabby. The thing to me is is i would be interested to see in a 4-2-3-1 at times if he was deployed a little bit further forward playing maybe in front of tiago and and um fabinho if we wouldn't get a little bit of the playmaking dribbling through the lines you know he played a lot in a 10 role basically off of a striker when he was in Germany at his high point at Leipzig. I don't think that's a reason to give a man an extension. This to me smells like, you know, and, and again, people that listen to this podcast regularly will know I at times am hypercritical of young Mr. Jones. And to me, this extension speaks more about where Curtis Jones isn't in his career yet. Because I think if Curtis Jones could be relied on to be your fourth best midfielder, they wouldn't be talking to Nabby, and he'd probably be applying his trade somewhere in Serie A. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if he then was in the Serie A team of the year. Because if you put him in a league where everything's a little bit slower, uh, and he has a little bit more time on the ball to take and find the pass and thread through the move and use his power, I think he'd actually get back to that top form he had in Germany. I just don't think it's going to work in England. So for me, this signing is more about recouping some of that, you know, people forget he was the third highest buy before Nunez of all these players that we had. Um, so if Nabby does resign, I'd say good on the club because I do think they'll secure a fee. I just don't really feel like we can actually look at him any longer 
and think that there's still this big upside for him at the club. Do you think he has a role outside of the bit kind of parts and parcel points that he did this year, Paul? Do you see it improving and kicking on, or do you honestly see, a, I hate to say it, but more of the same from Nabby Lad? Uh, I, I mean, I think he could have an increased role just because we have five subs, right? And uh, But then again, we have uh, Carvalho, who's going to be in the mix in some in some ways in that attacking midfield role. I imagine Harvey and Carvalho will want to be playing in. Um, so, I mean, it, it really just depends. I mean, we keep coming back to whether this is going to be the typical 4-3-3 we're used to seeing or whether we're going to see some sort of 4-2-3-1. I mean, Naby played this that kind of strange left-sided attacking mid position you see in a 4-2-2-2. So, I mean, I, it's just going to come down to formation. But, I mean, I think – with five subs, there's going to be more opportunities for everybody. Um, it's just going to come down to, to how that lays out in terms of formation. I just, you know, I'm with you with Nabby in terms of what I think. I just don't know whether his, the way that he plays and his strengths suit uh, suit him in this league. Um, it, it's kind of like a less dramatic conversation that we had about Taki, right? Like Taki's absolutely amazing. He's a great player, but he just like physically didn't match up and just like the, the flow of the game just didn't seem to suit Taki's strengths. And I kind of feel that same way about Nabby, although, you know, he has games where he just looks, I think that's the frustrating thing about Nabby is he just has his highs are so high <laughs> that like it makes you real frustrated. Yeah, I, I remember a few of those uh, times when right when Tiago got injured this year and he got that run of like four or five games where he started on the left. He had Henderson kind of commanding the midfield and telling him where to be on the pitch, which really helped him. And then he had Fabinho behind him, so he knew he could gamble a little bit, press forward, try to link up play. And he just kept popping up in the box. And I know he missed you know, a tough shot in the Champions League final, and he still gets ridiculed far more often than I think the average player or the young English player that's on our team. You know, I think we just, we, we love a 19-year-old English kid making mistakes on our squad, but when a, you know, 26-year-old Guinean player does it, it's, you know, all hell breaks loose and it's just wasted time and get him off the pitch. He should never wear the uniform again. Uh, so that always frustrates me. He shows up in the right places because he makes runs that other midfielders we have don't. And I think something it's something we all always talk about when we give the great opportunity to Ox that he stopped taking, you know, in 2018. And we still talk about those opportunities in 2022 like they're the same thing. <laughs> um, but I guess that's a smooth transition uh, to our conversation. We're going to shift to outgoings, Paul. And we're not going to talk about Ox because it sounds like he, too, is going to stick around and you know, take a good view from the fourth row, probably most matches and collect his whatever it is, 200 or 185 uh, pound a week pay packet that he's on, which is just unbelievable. It's like highway robbery. But uh, it there's news out. Nico is not training with the squad. He's home. He's basically training on his own in preparation for a move. A lot of rumblings about Nottingham Forest making a bid. Um and then also rumblings about Southampton coming in to try to hijack that bid. What are your first thoughts when you think of Nico's time at Liverpool and 
the fact that he'll be moving on, it seems like, in the coming days? Well, yeah, obviously he's a very talented kid. Um, I loved him. I loved watching him at the club. Um, I was never convinced that he was ever going to make it and get regular minutes, not only because Trent had just essentially locked him out of the lineup, because like as good as Nico looks going forward, he struggles defensively. And I'm not talking about just the recognition and getting back on time and folding back in off of those offensive runs, but I'm talking about the fact that he just fundamentally struggles defensively with the basics. And I think that like, you know, I mean, with Wales, he plays basically as an attacking mid um, in that weird like wingback formation they do. And I think that Nico is going to benefit from a system where he can is allowed that freedom to roam forward, and it's a less demanding system. Um, you know, we talked last week, and it's not surprising he's not with the team because we know there are at least five teams in the mix for him. Personally, love the Nottingham move for him because like. It's just a it's a it's a traditional powerhouse that needs to be back in top flight football, and I'd love to see him involved in that resurgence and that sort of project of them coming back. Um, and I think he would fit in well there. Um, Southampton, I'm not as not as high on for him, even though we would. <laughs> I guess I'm I guess I'm wherever the money goes, right? If we get a higher fee for him, great. But I think the better move is Nottingham Forest because I think at Southampton they've got a lot more options that could potentially knock him out of that lineup, and I'd like to see him play. Yeah, that was my thought. I I, I think it's hard because I think if I'm him, I'm hearing two options, right? It's a a newly promoted team. It's not even a team that, you know, won promotion by, you know, they had to win the playoff to get up. So, you know, it's usually statistically they're the team that, you know, by all accounts usually goes down if there is a team kind of taking the, you know, the elevator position back to the championship. Southampton offers probably a little bit more money, but it's going to offer a lot more competition. Livermento was their player of the season last year. Uh, they have the young French kid. I think his name's like Pernoud. That's on the other fullback side. Uh, you have Kyle Walker Peters that had a really good season. So you have fullbacks to compete with. I also think that Nico flourished at Fulham when they played in the back three, because to your point, he's playing further up the pitch and he has a you know right-sided center back dedicated to basically supporting him. And he's really more of an attack-minded midfielder. And I think that's where he would really um, – his skills would really, really flourish. And it'll be interesting to see how his career kicks on because this is a big move for him. I would too would go to Forrest for the pure fact he probably secures a starting position if they pay 16 to 20 million for him uh, as a promoted side, which is going to put him in the frame to be a starter at the World Cup and to be his age, get to a World Cup with Wales and get to start three matches and possibly even make it to the knockout rounds. And the fact that they get to play the United States gives them a pretty good frame at getting to the knockout rounds. Um, you know, yeah, there's my subtle dig at the U.S. men's national team. We'll get back to that maybe with a parting shot at the end of this podcast. Disgusting FIFA money grab whores. Yes, that's who you are, FIFA. You're all whores. Um, but I, I think it would be great for him to make that make that move. So another player that people are talking about leaving, um, and it's funny, Daz jumped in, our friend Darren O'Connor. Highway robbery is Ben Davies is on more money than quite a few players. 
Ben Davies, the man we brought from Preston North End, never to make an appearance, has twice had contracts that he signed with Celtic and then decided one time not to go to fight for a spot and the other time because he just couldn't turn down coming to Liverpool. What kind of a moron is this guy, Paul, that he can't pull on a jersey and he could have been starting for a side that wins trophies and honestly almost qualifies for Champions League every year and instead he likes to every once in a while warm up with the under-23s? Well, I've, you know, long been convinced that he's not a, a real player, that he's just essentially a hologram that we've posted out there. I mean, the facts are we're going to turn him around. We're going to sell him for double what we bought him, and half of his pay wage has been paid off by another team that he's been on loan with. So it's not like he's been incredibly expensive for us. Um, that was just – I think it was an opportunity. I think it was an opportunity buy um, when we were in that weird spot where we just insisted on playing midfielders as center backs um, and, you know, just didn't go into the market um, until late. Um it's a weird one, man. I, it makes, there's so many players that we could talk about that are sort of these fringe loan players. Like Sep's another one who had a great loan last year and, and may, may go out this year. I don't know, man. Like it's, it's a weird one for me. Like I, I don't know what, we don't get a whole lot of information on him, even when he's out on loan. So it's, it's real hard to understand where he's at mentally in terms of what he wants as a player. And that's what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to what he wants. So Sepp's a good one. He was another one that was like a fringe on my list. Um, for me personally, I wouldn't sell Sepp yet. I think you could go to Preston and you could make a profit. Well, we pay 300,000 pounds for him when we bought him from the small club, um, the Dutch club that we got him from. You know, I think if you sold him now, you get what three, four million, maybe because they know what they're getting and they want the player. If you loan them back out to a higher quality championship side or even a lower end Premier League side to see if he could cut it at this level, you might be able to fetch eight to 10 million. I mean, the idea that we're talking about possibly getting 15 to 20 million for Nat after. I mean, when Nat made his first appearance and everyone kind of like posted all the jokes and the memes, and, and then of course the cult hero you know, came after the swivel kick off the corner and the goal. But all of these players, to me, this is why we're starting to find more flexibility in the market is that we're grooming players, sending them out on loan, players that are never going to be the quality to play at our club. And instead of just letting them play with the youth team and leave under youth contracts, we're, we're fetching fees. I mean, they're talking of us getting three to five million for Owen Beck. I mean, there's another fullback that, is probably so far down a depth chart. He never sees another minute yet. We're fetching these fees. Are you a fan of the loan to sell process? Sure. Yeah, I definitely am. I mean, because the statistics say that only 2% of those kids ever break out of the Academy into a first team. And that's just into the first team squad. That's not into the starting lineup. So I am a fan of it. And I think, you know, there are situations like I personally like to see more set before we decide what we want to do with him. He started as a center back, went over to right back, then went up to right wing back, then was in the midfield by the end of the season and was in the frame for young player of the year in that league. He had a, an outstanding year at Preston North End. So I'd like to see a little bit more of him um, because I think it, it's interesting. What's his true position? What's he, what's he best at? Like, is he is he the second Joel Matip? Is he a player that's really good with the ball at his feet? That's just big, like and tall and lanky. Like I'd like to see more of that story. Um, 
Nat, you know, is going to go for big money for sure. But I love, like, I love the fact that like we do have this system now where we are loaning these players out and they are going for big fees. And I think there's a number of things that play there. I think we have a manager who's not afraid to blood in and play these players in spot situations in the starting 11 of the first team. And I think that makes players want to be a part of that youth system because they know that they have a shot at that type of minute in that type of system in that type of culture. And I think players want to be a part of that. The other thing I think of was that we have had players like Trent come through the system and become locked into a starting 11 and elite at their position from the youth level. Um, and I know we had Stevie G, right? But I think like it's just recency bias for a lot of people that are buying teams. I think if you see that in a system, all of a sudden – we have a youth system that was like needed a tremendous overhaul to we are the Barca youth team. We are the Barca youth system 15 years ago that was looked at as the crown jewel. Everybody wanted parts of that system. And I think that's what we built based on our starting 11 success and the ability to blood in young players and the ability to take them up, give them opportunities. I think from an optics standpoint, for a buying team, they we are now looked at at that level in terms of uh, a youth program. So speaking of the youth, um, we'll pivot away from players leaving. We could talk about Ox like we do every week just to make sure we said his name. So we check off that box on the uh, checklist or the person that's doing the we do a shot every time they say Ox on the American Scouser podcast. Um you can take another shot as Paul goes for his translucent beer through his green screen. It's pretty outstanding for any of the viewers. Green screen today. We're learning, like for those that can't see this, it's a uh, there's a green label on the beer, so we're finding out that like that's not a good pairing with green screens or a good pairing depending on how you look at it. I, I think it's outstanding. It gives Paul a little Casper the Friendly Ghost uh, yeah. transitional move here on the podcast, and we need it, especially with all the visual background we have here in the jail cell. Um, <laughs> So as we transition away from the players that are going to the, and we talk about the youth, we've, we've seen them invest heavily in purchasing young players. You know, they bought a young Irish talent. Uh, they brought the young uh, player from uh, Celtic in Doak. They obviously purchased uh, Calvin Ramsey from Aberdeen. And in past years, we've seen Harvey come in Carvalho. And now of course, um, Cade Gordon coming through with the five subs this year, Paul, any chance we see a little more of a player like Gordon getting five, 10 minutes end of matches, spelling, maybe a mo playing on the right side to really blood him in. Or do you think he's still a year or two away before we see him as part of the first 11? Cause they say he practices with the side every single day, which to me means Jurgen thinks he's not that far away. I personally think he's a year or two away from Premier League rotation. I think that he'll get a lot of cup time this year. Um, I think he will get a lot of cup time this year, but I, I don't think we're going to prioritize cups this year, given the schedule with the World Cup. Um, I think that's going to be similar to what we've seen in the years past where he just puts out essentially a youth team. I think we're going to see a lot of that this year with the cups. Uh, but for me, I still think he's a year or two away which is why I was so nervous and why I still think that we need right-sided attacking depth because essentially all the attacking depth we have is, is left-sided, even in the midfield. So there have been rumors and we don't always focus on the rumors, but these were, you know, at least substantiated with decent sources. Um, 
We've obviously been, been linked, I believe, with Marco Asensio since he was four, four or five years old every year. Um, there's been a rumor that Marco Asensio is coming to Liverpool. I think at one point, Real Madrid wanted like $240 million, uh for him. And now I think they'd sell him to us for $25 and a bag of balls as long as we pay his contract next season. Um, but I, I think the fee is, sounds like it would be around 20 to 25 million euros. Would you see a player like Marco Asensio coming in as cover, knowing that he can play? He has been a goal scorer, played on the big, you know, has played on the big stage, scored some big goals for Madrid, but never lived up to that potential as the next big Spanish star. Would that be a gamble to give you that cover on the right? I mean, I think you could do far worse, right? I just, my thing with Asensio is given his background in how he shot up through the ranks and in the clubs he's been involved with, essentially Real Madrid, is like, is is he, like, I know that we're not going to pay those wages. Is he looking to come in with limited opportunities on a reduced wage packet? I just don't, I personally don't see that happening. But if those things line up, then sure. I will. I mean, he, I still think he's a hell of a player. I think I, I like his game. I think he would fit the system. And I think he could, uh, I think he could be in a club and a culture that he really enjoys and benefits his career. Um, I'd be all over that. I just don't know that he's going to, I don't know that, I don't know that he's going to come at the wages that we would pay him. Yeah, I that I didn't I always thought it was, you know, um London Bridge parked under the Antarctica type story. Didn't make any sense to me of how that would actually really get to the rumor mill because one, the fee seems way too low. And anytime I hear a player is willing to take a pay cut, I'm like, Oh great, that's awesome. And then you find out he's on over three hundred thousand pounds or a week now equivalent in Spain with with less taxes. And yeah, it's not a no James Milner situation. It just doesn't make sense <laughs> to me. So I would love to see them find right side of cover. I'm not so confident they're going to. It's one of the other reasons I'm even less comfortable with Ox being back next year. Because anytime like they say, like, well, Ox is going to be here, I always think to myself, like, Ox is the backup right wing, isn't he? Like, there's really, your Kate like, Gordon, though. I mean, there's your Kate Gordon opportunity. I mean, but I just don't further- with you. I don't think he's ready, but maybe he maybe yeah. he hit the gym and really bulked up and you know he yeah. hit the, the the man growth in one summer, which everyone does hit well, except for me, 44 summers still waiting to hit that. <laughs> still waiting to hit that I one. I grew the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's so um we'll be wrapping this up shortly. As all of you know, you know, we're gonna be launching our YouTube channel. Um, we would love for you to follow, subscribe to the channel so you get all the updates. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. We will be coming through with a little bit more um, additional content other than just the weekly podcast. We're going to be doing a weekly EPL show that focuses more around uh, the big matches every single week and player transfers all around the league. We're going to have a fantasy-specific show uh, where we you know, review our personal American Scouser Cup, as well as talk about players to watch and players on the rise and best teams and fixtures and strategy. And then we're also going to look at betting shows, gaming shows, and then we're going to have a whole bunch of other uh, game day content. So we're really hoping 
uh, that you'll get more engaged with us and you'll share your feedback with us. Paul, I know me and you were bantering over the weekend as the player prices started to come out before the world gets their FPL fantasy fix from the American Scouser team. Are you excited about the aggressive pricing in the new format of the game? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, like I joked, anything to make it more accessible. <laughs> like, I just think uh, it's one of those things, dude. It's like the DMV. I don't fucking want to do it, but I got to. You got to, and you're updating us. The morning prices come out <laughs> as if you weren't paying attention and following their Twitter pages. Uh, I know. It's like I can't even enjoy talking shit anymore because Galley actually knows when this stuff happens and will call me out on it. Yeah, it was pretty. Enter- it was very entertaining, and for anyone out there, uh, it was. And my favorite part was was Paul was just so frustrated with Bowen's price because it automatically was like the first guy he was going to put on his team after he fought me for an entire summer, telling me if he ever came anywhere near any team he supported, unnecessary pet drama or not, um, that you know it was. And are you going to come up with a new? witty name for this year's squad or are we going to come back with yeah it's tough because i wasn't able to join i wasn't able to join andy reed on vacation this year so like i don't know if i'm going to like stick with that name where that originated or have to come up with a new one it feels like it feels like i may hang on to it just because of the unexpected success of last year's team um but I also don't know if like lightning strikes twice, you know what I mean? So yeah, I, I asked Kelly the other day. I asked Kelly the other day if she was going to alter her clapback um, team name, and she was like, um, "I almost won the whole thing. I beat all of you, and why would I change it? It's pretty fucking awesome." And I said to myself, "It is pretty fucking awesome." And the fact that she came up with it herself without like any help or like googling team names was just like, "I'm gonna use this one," and then picked the team that was far dominant to mine strategy and used all of her wild cards and chips better than I did all year just makes me want to delete her account, you know, cause that's the kind of good husband that I am would basically delete her account rather than finish second two years in a row, but we can document this on July 6. I basically shot myself in the foot and announced that I will probably finish second once again in our household, probably third. Cause she'll probably have a team for the dog this year, which yep. she'll still manage. That will be better than mine. So with that, I think that'll probably do it here, Paul, unless you had anything else you wanted to uh, speak to or remind our listeners about tonight at the end of our show. Nope. Like and subscribe on the YouTube channel because there will be a plenty of tomfoolery. Uh, if you like our terrible takes here, we're about to multiply it tenfold. Um, so there'll be lots of funny moments, uh, both good and bad. Nobody gets things more wrong than us, even the time of our weekly podcast. Thank you for finding us off schedule. We appreciate you. Have a great day, everybody, and have a great week.